Oh, I have to turn it on. It's nice to be here in the evening. Uh, some of you may have noticed I haven't been here in the evenings. I have a six-week-old baby at home. <laughs> so uh, I've been attending to baby needs in the later part of the day. Um, but it's, uh, it's also nice to get away a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell my wife. Although she knows, she said, you get to meditate for 45 minutes when you get there, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I do. So. <laughs> so, um, because I have this baby, I've been doing a lot of walking around in my neighborhood uh, at all hours of the night and morning uh, and day. Uh, especially in the first weeks, uh, it was like, almost like magic. If I went outside, he would fall asleep. He could be crying inside, but put him in a little carrier. Um, step outside and he'd conk out. And then it sort of got less magic-like. He would not <laughs> just conk out. I'd have to be moving kind of sort of vigorously. And then he would stay. So it's like this... I like meditating. It's the ongoing learning on how to be. Anyway, uh, so I've been doing a lot of walking around in this in my neighborhood, um, and you know, I thought I knew my neighborhood well. Uh, it's a really nice little hood, and uh, a lot of kids and. We know a lot of our neighbors and we hang out with our neighbors. It's a very unusual kind of uh, little community there. Um, we like our na- many of our neighbors and our kids play together. Uh, and, uh, but walking around at all these hours, I've met so many new people and seen that there are rhythms in this neighborhood that I just had no idea about. You know, if you're... Out at 5.30, there's like a whole crowd that's out at that hour. People jogging and other people with little kids at the tot lot. There's this one guy who's always there. We kind (laughs) of nod to each other. Uh, And somehow when you have a baby, everybody wants to talk to you, you know, so you meet all these people. And it's been very interesting because, you know, I went for this one really long walk, maybe an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. And, you know, seeing so many aspects of the neighborhood, both people and houses I'd never noticed that are right there. Uh, uh, I don't pay much attention to architecture, but I'm noticing all these interesting things about the different houses. And so I was coming back home and I was realizing, wow, it's a totally different neighborhood than I thought I lived in. You know, I had this very limited sense of where I live just based on the minimal interactions I had in the normal rhythm of my life. You know, I have a certain schedule and I'm around certain hours and it's a totally different place, really. 
And the part that I'm familiar with is just a small part of it. And it even looks different in the context. So I was reflecting on this as I came home. And I was standing in front of the house. I, I knew I had very limited time. There'd been some stirring, you know. I was doing that parental rock back and forth. And I was just sort of trying to stall as long as I could. And then uh, a couple of kids from the neighborhood came up. Uh, Luna, who's eight, and uh, her younger sister, uh, Carmela, who I think is six, uh, and Zoe, who uh, is lives across the street, who's five. And, and Zoe and Carmela had these little notebooks, and they marched up. And, and Luna's a, uh, she's an unusual kid. She's said a few things that have really kind of caught me off guard. Very deep, maybe an old soul or something. And they come traipsing out. I said, I said, hey, what are you guys doing? And Luna looked at me and she said, these humans, <laughs> really, she said, these humans only see what they're used to seeing. I mean, for real. And I, uh, my jaw was like, I, I mean, I'd just been thinking. I said, yeah, it, that's true. <laughs> and I said, so, so what are you guys doing? She said, oh, we're walking around and we're seeing all the things we don't usually notice. And we're drawing them. And then Carmela says, Look, there's sap on this plant. And she and Zoe both drop to the ground and they start drawing. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is Dharma Vichaya. This is investigation. Yeah. Uh, that's the topic of tonight's talk. <laughs> I'm not just telling stories. Huh? Really, uh, just to even know that, I'm amazed. You know, eight years old. Uh, you know, I, I remember when I first started practicing intensively, I had had some little shift, some glimpse. And I really uh, sensed, knew, that my mind was shaping the reality that I was living in. You know, I, I knew that much. I knew this, it's here. This is where this is all coming. So I was very interested in looking. I didn't know how, but, but I wanted to see. And so I think that interest is very onward leading in this practice and in life. You know? uh, but that kind of curiosity that these kids had to, well, what is happening in here, really? You know? Because most of our relationship to ourself is a little like mine to my neighborhood originally. It's kind of superficial. Yeah? 
it's ironic because we've been with this body and mind our whole life, even though it's been changing and developing, but, but we kind of skip over it. We th- maybe it's, we think we already know. Oh, it's me. You know? Who? You know me. It's me. I, I'm used to me. I live with me all the time. I'm kind of tired of me, so I'm looking to change it and sort of get some new stuff going on in here, new version of me. Uh, but actually, we have no idea. And as you've been practicing for days, you already, even if this is your first retreat, you already have a sense. Wow. There's a lot more here than uh, we're used to seeing. So I really think that we do sort of start to expand our sense of what is even here. Yeah? And things start to look different in that context. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we hear this term in like investigation. I don't really like that word because we hear, at least for me, hear it and just think like investigate, you know, sort of like when the person was thinking about the interviews, like an interrogation, you know, sort of very, seems kind of aggressive. Um, And I actually don't think that that's the kind of investigation that we do meditatively or that the Buddha was talking about. Uh, It's much more this kind of interest, yeah, or... And it, it comes from, in the sort of factors of enlightenment, it comes after mindfulness. So it sort of arises as a result of just being here for a little bit and paying attention for some period of time. We start to get interested because we, we're connected to what's happening. Um, so there's something, no matter how you think you're practicing, there's something very, very valuable about just hanging out with yourself for a while without a lot of distractions. Just being here. And that's what we're attempting to do. Because Well, um, maybe because there's a lot to see. So let's start even with kind of some of the basic instructions that we've been uh, touching on here, yeah? We start with the breathing, the body, uh, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral sensations in the body. And you may have started to notice that a lot of how things are going for you or how you think you're doing depends on which of these sensations happen to be present in a moment. I mean, do do you get curious about that? I mean, it's almost universal when people come in for interviews and 
they're having a lot of pain or a lot of emotional pain, you know, it's like you think you're not doing well. You think you made a mistake. It's really interesting. When things are comfortable or everything's like, oh, that's great. I'm doing great. Yeah, but when things are uncomfortable, not doing great. And you can actually see how a whole identity is built around a moment of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Yeah? You're having a, a, a very scattered sitting. Yeah? The mind's just not settling. You've been practicing for days now and just everything's all over the place. And don't you start to feel like a terrible meditator? <laughs> yeah. And don't you start to tell, tell stories to yourself about how uh, you don't belong here? You know? Or that there's some defect that's very particular to you? <laughs> you know? And... And this is why, you know, and you kind of always knew it. <laughs> and, and just, but somehow you denied it and, and now you're really, the evidence is in, you know. Uh, and it's just a very depressing place to be. <laughs> It's so universal. Everybody's laughing because it's very universal. Yeah. But then the cool thing about sustaining our attention for a while is that, you know, an hour later or half a day later, you experience a little bit of calm. Things are kind of pleasant. You're with your breathing for just a few breaths in a row. It gets kind of still. And then you start to fantasize about the two-month retreat at Spirit Rock. (laughs) And you start to feel like, you know, I really understand Milarepa and spending his life in a cave. I think I could do that. You know, and you imagine yourself just after a few years of this light blazing out of your eyes. You know, and like Philip, animals flocking about you. <laughs> can I, can I have that? <laughs> See, I use my psychic powers to listen to the Dharma talk. No, that's a joke. Then your psychic powers will develop. You know, so you're a totally different person. <laughs> but it's just because you had like a few seconds of calm. <laughs> you know? So we do this all the time in our lives, all day long. But we don't notice it. We build identities out of momentary experience over and over and over again. A whole... It's a whole different self. And it's weird because, okay, you were the worst meditator in the universe in the morning, and in the afternoon, you're like the next Dalai Lama. So you get suspicious, you know? It's like, what? (laughs) How is that possible? 
you know? So then you're interested, like, well, how is that possible? You know? so, so then you start paying closer attention and you start seeing, oh, how, just how the mind responds to what's happening in the moment and how that really determines the reality that you're experiencing for that time. And it seems total when you're in it. It doesn't seem like, oh yeah, right now I feel like the worst. No, it's like, this is just the way it is. And it's almost like because we don't sustain our attention, we don't see that, well, it's totally different 20 minutes later or even a few seconds later sometimes. We don't see that. Uh, I mean, I, I remember, you know, this happened happened many times. I remember being on sort of a, doing a solo retreat just for a couple days, just doing a little practicing. And the end of a day is sort of evening time. And I've been practicing all day. I'm walking back to the place I was staying. And, and I have this thought. It's like, I haven't been mindful all day. And then I got really depressed. Wow, I've really wasted, wasted my time. You know, what have I been doing all day? I've just been... And then I just, so I just sort of, what happened? And I just noticed that there was a moment where I, I was kind of spaced out. It happened right before that thought. And then it creates a whole reality for the whole day. I mean, I'd been practicing all day. I must have been mindful at least for a couple moments. You know? This is very interesting to me, at least. Uh, you're sleepy. You know, some people talk about sleepy. Oh. See, one of the biggest obstacles to investigation, one of the biggest obstacles to insight, really, is thinking that what's happening now is not supposed to be happening. That something else is supposed to be happening. And that's just like a little microcosm of how we live our lives. We live our life for the thing that's going to happen next, often. And so we're never really living where we actually are. So there's this weird gap. And maybe that's why sometimes things feel unsatisfying, you know, or you feel disconnected, because you kind of are disconnected. So a lot of times in practice, you know, it's just like, it's a big obstacle. People think something else is supposed to be happening. And so we don't actually look at what's here. You know, we don't really hang out with it for a while. And that's really what it takes to learn, is to hang out with what is here. Just like with a person. You know, to get to know a person, you have to spend time with them. I'm talking about another person. It's true of yourself, too. You know? But you have to spend time with them. You have to hang for a while. Yeah? And you can't get to know somebody by asking them really aggressive questions. <laughs> you know? Tell me about yourself. Who are you? What are you? you know? It's like, when people do that, you just immediately clam up. You know, it's not the way to get to know someone. Uh, even this kind of like sometimes the penetrating spiritual stare. <laughs> you know, it's like the, I can see everything about you and you know, people do that sometimes in California. <laughs> what do you do in response to that? I, know, I kind of back off. <laughs> okay. So it was not the way to relate 
to our experience because um, it's not a good way to get to know anything. Yeah? And some of this experience uh, is kind of shy. Yeah? Like, you know, and sometimes people come and say, oh, we're supposed to be mindful of emotions. But every time I turn to an emotion, it disappears. Especially guys. Uh, you know, it's, and, or it, it's this kind of guy conditioning, you know. Say. But often it's because when there's emotion present, we kind of go, you know, we do that spiritual stare at it. <laughs> and then it's kind of gone, you know. It's just, you're too aggressive. Uh, and I really feel like some of these mind states or states of, they're really like wild animals, you know, or like children. You know, wild animals don't like it when you do, even when you look at them, they can tell. And they kind of, so you kind of have to saddle up sideways, you know. Philip could probably give a whole talk on this. <laughs> I'd love to hear it, actually. <laughs> to say, sorry. <laughs> it's sort of like, you kind of have to be just around, you know, and you kind of feel from the side. It's like, okay. Yeah? So they can, you can kind of coexist. And same with kids, you know. Hey! The kids you don't know. You know, you have to, you have to be a little gentle. And there's a re- line I really like from uh, Clifford Gertz, anthropologist. And he talked about anthropology as deep hanging out. You know, so I like that term, deep hanging out. It's like... Uh, when we deeply hanging out with our experience, we learn about it. We learn from it. So what do we start to learn? Well, one thing we start to learn is, uh, you know, because we're interested, because we're approaching, you know, actually, uh, we have a whiteboard in the teacher room now. It just arrived a couple days ago. And somebody wrote out all the talks. And there's a, and somebody did, I don't know who did this, a little drawing underneath each subject, mindfulness. of us. And the one for investigation was a question mark. And I really like that. I don't know who did that. You know that? Jack. <laughs> Jack's brilliance. Question mark. Yeah? So it's very useful to approach our experience with a question mark. Yeah? Because as I said, another big obstacle is we think we already know. Yeah? We think we already know who we are. But we already think we already know what's happening. Yeah? Or we think we already know sadness. Or we think we already know fear or we think we already know anger, or we think we already know uh, anxiety. Yeah. So we're sort of like, okay, 
Yeah? Uh, fear is present. Okay, I'll be aware of it. Yeah? And because everything's impermanent, it's going to pass. Yeah? It's like, that's not deep hanging out. Yeah? Well, we, sometimes we don't want to deeply hang out with some of this stuff because it's scary. Let's be honest. Yeah? Some of the stuff we haven't gone near, really. Yeah? Grief. We deeply hang out with grief. I mean, that's intense. So this is invitation to, wow, when you're feeling fear, to really hang with it. Yeah? Where, where is fear? You can kind of ask yourself little questions, not questions to get intellectual about it, but to really sense it. Where is it in, the, in my body? Yeah? Like, just energetically, what's happening with it? Yeah? What are the thoughts that are generated, connected to it? Yeah? You can sort of see, there's another very interesting area of exploration, how the body conditions the mind and the mind conditions the body. Yeah? You see how sensations give rise to thoughts, like, uh, you know, you're struggling and you're feeling kind of frustrated, and that gives rise to thoughts about being a terrible meditator. Just like that. Uh, fear give rise to associative thinking. Yeah? And same thing with associative thinking can give rise to emotions, moods, sensations in the body. We start to notice how, they, how things connect, you know, how one conditions the other. Very interesting. Yeah. So with this interest, so what do we do with fear? A number of people were mentioning fear in the interview, so I sort of want to talk about it a little bit. How do we get interested in fear? First of all, why would you want to be interested in fear? I guess you have to have some faith that it leads somewhere to pay attention to it. You know, there has to be some faith that, that there's a value in that. But I'll just describe a few ways that I've worked with it at various times. Um, when I was early on in my practice, I, uh, I was really just starting to get this kind of interest in how everything was happening in here. Yeah, and I was starting to pay attention to my life in a way I hadn't before. Yeah, following an instruction that uh, my first teacher gave me was pay attention to how you actually live. Uh, and that was very radical because it was, you know, so often we're like looking at how our life is going to be. We actually don't pay attention to how, what we're actually doing. So I started to really look, what's actually happening? How am I actually relating to things? What am I actually thinking? Yeah. And at this point I was living in Massachusetts and I was living um, near some woods close to it. And I would take walks at night. Uh, and I was always, because I was, Meditating, so I was in this meditative, you know, sort of like, oh, mindful and experiencing. But I noticed, at a certain point, I noticed, I'm always walking on the road. What's that about? And I realized that I was afraid to walk in the woods at night. Yeah, when I'd kind of go, like, turn in that direction, even mentally, it'd be a little like, "Mm." you know, I don't know about that. So, you know, at that point, I was interested. So I decided, I'm going to start... walking into the woods and I'm going to see what's going on. Sort of interest, investigation. Yeah. So I started to walk uh, and I, I did this every night for a while. 
walk into the woods and I would just walk until, actually there's a discourse in the suttas, which is kind of a little like this. I hadn't read this at the time. It's interesting. I would walk and then at a certain point I get scared. Yeah? I'd feel that kind of, you know, sometimes there'd be an image first, but often it would just be some kind of, I don't know what it was, you know, you enter some little area and there's a little different feeling and then that little prickly feeling on your back and your neck, so like, <laughs> hair stand up. And then I would stop and I would just feel that. Just feel it and let it be there. And then I would watch my mind uh, create images. You know, and there was all kinds of images. Like, you know, because I'd seen a lot of horror movies when I, <laughs> when I was a kid. It, ages, you know, before you're supposed to see horror movies. And it was in there. You know, so I'd be standing there and, you know, like, the, I don't even want to tell you the images. <laughs> I don't want to seed your mind with this stuff. But, you know, it's like somebody right behind you. Like, <laughs> you know? I, at this point, I had enough insight to know this is my mind. Yeah? So I just would stand there and I would watch these images. And there was a lot of variations of these images. And they were really scary. And sometimes you get that feeling like, no, but really? <laughs> this time I really... I should just look. But don't. That, that just makes things worse. Yeah? But I would just do that. I'd walk, and whenever I'd feel the fear, I'd stop and feel the fear and just watch the images. And uh, at first it was really hard. Yeah? But actually it didn't take that long to get used to it. Yeah? And to get used to these images. You know? And they're kind of familiar and repetitive. You know? and, uh, and somehow it just stopped having that kind of whatever charge. It just wasn't as scary. Uh, and if, you know, doing that again and again and again, not even for too long, you know, maybe it was, it was less, maybe it was a week or less than a week. Uh, I'd have these long periods of time. Uh, and I remember as it, well, maybe this was a while later, I'm forgetting the chronology, but I remember when it was summertime, walking through these woods in this pitch black you know, when there's a lot of foliage and you can't see anything. Pitch black, and it was so sweet, this darkness. You know? Uh, it was like, those images, after a while, they just stopped even arising. You know? When they'd arise, they'd be so uh, kind of not scary. It was just sort of like, oh yeah. But I'd have these long peacefulness in the dark, and I hadn't experienced like that before. It was so... It's beautiful, really. But that's a kind of, just that story, I think, is, I like telling that story because I think it illustrates this interest part. You know, why would you do that? You know, because you have to have a sense that this is the mind that's creating this because then you're interested in looking because that's what's freeing, is really seeing. Yeah, is really seeing what is mind-generated. Yeah, and you see whether it's true or not. There's so many beliefs that we hold about ourselves, deep beliefs, deeply held beliefs. You know, as you practice, and you may uncover some of these, just, you know, and sometimes they're even just about that bad meditation thing about how worthless you are or how, you know, how you need to hold it together. You know, how if you don't hold it together, 
uh, I don't know what, but every, it's almost like there's this feeling that everything in the world is going to fall apart. And so will you, and it'll just be bad. It's kind of vague, these beliefs. They're not that fleshed out, actually. <laughs> you know, when you really look at them, they're sort of like, oh, you know, really? But when, we, when they're really kind of unexamined, they're, they really are re- as if they're real. They just feel that real. It's like, no, this is who I am. Yeah. Uh, but those are conditioned phenomena. Yeah. They, they arose due to conditions of your life and they got reinforced over time. And we can unwind those by seeing them. Yeah. And by seeing how when they're there in the moment, there's a reality present. When they're not there in the moment, that reality is not present. Yeah. When you're with that person who thinks you're the greatest thing in the world, yeah, or you're just with people who like you, aren't you a genius? You know, it's just this is the conditions. Yeah, that's that's a conditioned phenomena that are arising. They're not ultimately true in any way. But the only way to we can know this intellectually, it does us very little good, you know, any of this. The way it does us good is when we know it in our bones. You know, when you spend that time with your mind to really see how it operates, yeah? And to see the, in a way, to see the walls of the prison, yeah? It's like, we don't know that we're living in a prison of beliefs and ideas about who we are. Yeah, what we are, or how things are. Uh, but if you want to escape from prison, you got to pay attention to like when the guards go by, you know, and like where which wall looks a little weak. Maybe you could dig with a spoon. Things, <laughs> though. Yeah. And. One thing we start to see as we're practicing, all these little identities, momentary identities, you know, whether it's like, you know, I'm the greatest meditator in the world or I'm the crappiest meditator in the world or whatever version of that applies in your life. Yeah, all these limited identities, they're very limited, you know. Being the greatest anything as a sort of belief, we've been around people like that. It's not that interesting. You know, it's, it's, it's narrow. It's a prison with gold bars. Yeah, it's like a plush minimum security <laughs> with a TV, you know. I'm the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, you get visiting hours and stuff. It's, it's still a prison. Yeah. So one of the, I love Trudy's story about you get everything. Yeah. See, we just have identified with certain aspects of our experience that we've learned to identify with as me. And that's who we take ourselves to be. It's very limited. It's like my neighborhood, you know. I know a few of my neighbors and I think that's the neighborhood. But as we sit with ourselves, we realize, no, everything's in there. You experience every human emotion, every sensation, yeah. It's like the world is here. And... uh, If we stop being like kind of 
believing in this sort of uh, this limited sense of, uh, well, this is really who I am. You know me. And just to talk a little bit more about how this process of identification happens, because I think this is also really worth paying attention to. You know, you can notice the difference between experiencing fear, for example, and the story about how, what a fearful person you are and how you've always been a fearful person and how uh, your sort of life is defined by this. Yeah, and you'll never be able to go out there and have relationships or you'll never be able to go out there and be the person that you really want to be. Yeah. So it's the same. There's a moment of fear and then this constellation of thinking happens. And when it's un, when we don't see it clearly, it just becomes, feels like reality. And you can notice this moment after moment with every experience. Yeah? Just notice how you identify with what's happening in the moment. When we're uh, not identified with what's happening in the moment, there's room for everything. There's so much room because we can be with whatever's going to happen. We don't have to be manipulating all the time. We don't have to be managing. We don't have to be strategizing. It's so tiring, isn't it? Even just trying to manage your meditation, just organize everything so you get certain experiences. Isn't it exhausting? It's just like a miniature version of what we do out there. Yeah, it's exhausting. When you, but in, in, in sort of, when we bring this interested attention to all of our experience, we, uh, we start to get comfortable with it. Yeah. It stops, it stops being so scary. Uh, and you may have to do this gradually with certain things. It's not that you should like dive into everything. You know, sometimes there's a well of grief and it feels like I, I just can't go near that right now. It's too much. Yeah, so listen to yourself. This is a gradual process. You don't have to rush. Like nature, you know, it's just, nature just moves along. You don't have to like be all American about it instant. <laughs> you know, I will deal with my this and just, no, you can yeah. And some things it's like, oh, some, sometimes in meditation, Aspects of our life arise that we kind of maybe didn't know were there, you know, and it can be really scary. It can feel like too much. You know, some experiences you made, so we have to learn how to be with it skillfully, how to kind of investigate, but skillfully. So say there's a, a lake, you know, a lake of fear or a lake of emotion, a lake of sadness, yeah? You don't have to go jump in the lake. You know, you can kind of hang out on the shore and just like the animals, just kind of be near it for a little while. This is hanging out, deep hanging out. Yeah? You might put your toe in it. That's enough, okay. Yeah, you're just sort of getting yeah, familiar, comfortable. Okay, can we learn how to coexist kind of on a 
feeling level. Some things you may need to put on a, in a boat and send them a mile out into the ocean. Okay, I can be with you from this distance. This is just about right. So you can titrate. It's not that you, know, you should anything. Um, Maybe I'll read a couple of things from the Buddha. It's never a bad idea, you know. Um, I, I guess the, the first thing is from the, the, the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the, the discourse on the four foundations of mindfulness, which is really the text out of which this whole practice comes that we're doing. Uh, and I like to read this section. This is a section on mindfulness of mind states. Um, it's really useful, I think, as a corrective, you know, because even though you hear all of us say, be with what's arising, we have this deeply held belief, I think, that we should just make it a little different or kind of get a different experience. Like sleepiness, nobody wants to be with sleepiness, you know, partly because people think it's not interesting or it's the opposite of wakefulness. You know, you come to a meditation retreat to be awake. So if you're sitting there on your cushion and you're sleepy, you're obviously there's something wrong with you. <laughs> Or you're just wasting your time or something. But I, I think sleepiness is fascinating. You know, because you can watch yourself fall asleep. Isn't that interesting? How is that possible? You can watch the mind get tired and kind of, you know, get all faggy. And, and there can be something totally awake and aware of that. What is that? What is that? Yeah. That's interesting. How is it that you can be... Sometimes you ever had this experience? You, you, you realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm dreaming at, at night. <laughs> you, you wake up in a dream and you realize, oh, this is a dream. You're looking around. You're awake in a dream. Well, wait a minute. How's that possible? Wakefulness is not the opposite of sleep. So it's just this is just interesting realm of exploration, you know, or boredom. You know, we think boredom. We always think that uh, boredom is a function of what we're paying attention to. Oh, this is boring. Yeah, I know why I'm not excited because what I'm what's happening right now is boring. Yeah, so it's always in the object. It was very interesting to notice, and you probably have already noticed this, that boredom or, or interest is a function of the quality of attention. It's not a function of the object. Yeah? And not only people who do a lot of drugs experience this. <laughs> you know? It's really... I mean, like our neighbors, you know? Like after the, the sap on the leaf, uh, uh, Zoe said... There's a crack in the cement. <laughs> and they were trying. <laughs> they walked over, sat down, drawing. Okay. Yeah. So you might just notice that. that the, and you put, might notice it with the breathing. Your relationship to the breathing changes over the days, doesn't it? As you start to be able to connect with it, it can start to get interesting. 
I'm sure your breath has not taken like personality classes, you know, sort of spiced up its act over the days. No, it's a function of the quality of the attending. This is also a very interesting realm of exploration. Uh, It's also true that suffering is not in the object. That's another thing we can investigate. Suffering is not in it being pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Suffering is in the relationship to what's happening. So that's something you can just explore. I don't even want to, I could say, I could do a whole talk about that, but in a way, it's just nice to just cede it as a realm of exploration. I mean, that's interesting. You can have pain and not be suffering in a moment. And you can be in pain and have be suffering terribly. And you can build a whole future out of a moment of pain. That's another interesting thing. Yeah. I've had this, I had a lot of knee dukkha in my life. And I've watched over and over again, uh, my knees will be fine for a while. And then I'll do a little something, you know, it's always like coming out of the bathroom. So do, you know, you're not doing anything intense. Just, and there's a little twinge in the knee. And it's amazing to watch the next 20 years happen. <laughs> you know, me slowly getting less and less active, you know, and hobbling around and all the things I'm not going to be able to do. You know, including sitting up here and cross-legged, which I'm still kind of attached to, even though I've done years of sitting in chairs. You know, so all the things that, all the permutations, I'll be hobbling around, I won't be able to play with my kids. In a second, less than a second. So just to watch that process happen over and over again is fascinating. Creating a future out of a moment, you know, over and over and over again. I'm getting carried away. I didn't even read the part about the Buddha. Okay? So this is just such a good reminder of like, again, as a corrective to this idea that something else is supposed to be happening. And how bhikkhus, bhikkhus means monks, but it it can mean you in this context. How bhikkhus does a bhikkhu abide contemplating mind as mind? Here Bhikkhu understands a mind affected by lust as a mind affected by lust and mind unaffected by lust as mind unaffected by lust. He understands mind affected by hate as a mind affected by hate and mind unaffected by hate as a mind unaffected by hate. She understands mind affected by delusion as mind affected by delusion and mind unaffected by delusion, as mind unaffected by delusion. He understands contracted mind as contracted mind, and distracted mind as distracted mind. She understands exalted mind as exalted mind, and unexalted mind as unexalted mind. He understands surpassed mind as surpassed mind, and unsurpassed mind as unsurpassed mind. She understands concentrated mind as concentrated mind and unconcentrated mind as unconcentrated mind. He understands liberated mind as liberated mind and unliberated mind as unliberated mind. You get it? (laughs) See, the Buddha, this is, you're going to the source. Buddha is not saying your mind should be concentrated. 
your mind should not be affected by lust. Do you hear that in there? No. Buddha saying, it's not all this like nicey nice spiritual thing. You should be this. Yeah. You should be nice to everybody. No. Saying, when your mind is affected by hate, you know mind is affected by hate. You're knowing it in the moment. When the mind is wanting, full of lust and craving, you're being with that. You're knowing this is the mind, this is craving. Yeah? When the mind is concentrated and still, you're knowing that condition. So it's really a great equalizer. Yeah? And it greatly simplifies the practice when we really start to get this. Maybe then we give ourselves permission to be interested in what's actually happening right now. Even if it's not what you ordered. Yeah. Uh, I mean, are we ordering any of this stuff? No. It's just unfolding. The content of your own mind, are you deciding what thoughts are going to arise next? You're not, most of the time. Yeah? I mean, wouldn't you write different content? <laughs> I would definitely write different content. Yeah? But luckily, as we attend to this state, and this state, and this state, in this moment, our attention starts to get very stable because we're not running around. In fact, we're right here. You don't have to go looking for anything. It's all coming right to you. Not going anywhere. The mind starts to get very stable. Very stable and very powerful and they're able to know the conditions of the moment as they're arising, passing, and to see their characteristics then. You start to see how one thing leads to another. Yeah? You start to see how the mind conditions the body, and the body conditions the mind. You start to see how a sound conditions a feeling, which conditions a thought, which conditions a identity, which conditions a future. You start to see this process. Yeah? You start to see how everything that arises passes. We don't notice that either because we're not really hanging out long enough normally. But here as we hang out, we start to see, oh, I was the Dalai Lama five minutes ago and now I'm, you know, not even worthy of entering this hall. So we start to see impermanence. We start to see how uh, suffering uh, arises due to our craving for something else to be happening and are pushing away what is happening or are identifying with what's happening in the moment as me, yeah? as opposed to just seeing it as it's arising. Yeah? And we start to see the selfless nature of this whole process, how it's all arising due to causes and conditions, this vast web of causes and conditions, and how much of it is not subject to our control. And we may even start to get interested as the mind is stable, more stable in this way, as it's less reactive, less pushing away, less grabbing on. We may even start to notice 
the attending itself, the awareness itself underlying all experience, yeah, giving rise to this whole manifestation. Yeah, even everything that's arising here right now, arising in awareness. Yeah, we start to, uh, you know, at first it's like we're so scattered in our mind that uh, uh, it's like we're just here for a brief second and then we're gone. So we can't see anything clearly. And we also can't see how things are connected. We can't see what's happening in our own mind. As we come back again and again, it's like uh, this continuity of awareness starts to develop like a stream. Yeah? For short moments, it sort of carries us. And as the stream gets a little more steady, we start to realize that actually there's no stream at all. There's just this. Yeah? There's actually no stream of awareness. There's just all of this happening in awareness. And that awareness is a great mystery itself and very, very interesting. Not interesting to be investigated like, oh, where is it? Because you, know, you won't find anything if you investigate like that. But this kind of hanging out, just hanging out with, you start to get a feel for it, a feel for the attending itself. Mm-hmm. Familiarized, you know, you start to... And... And this just opens up another vast territory for exploration without going anywhere. And that's the good news. You don't have to go anywhere. Isn't that a relief? It all comes right to you. You don't even have to make anything happen. Isn't that another relief? Uh, I, I heard this. Check the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not important. (laughs) So I I hope one of the things you get out of this talk is that the most interesting person in this room is you. And even if you discounted yourself and skipped over yourself, one of the things I've learned, we grossly underestimate ourselves. Yeah? Yeah. And I don't mean like your potential if you tried hard to become a better. Not that kind of, you know, you underestimate yourself. You could really be something. Not that. Please, not that. No, I mean what you already are. Yeah. And the beauty of this path is that we develop the tools to be able to look deeply and to see deeply. Yeah. And you're no different than the Buddha. You know, it's like there's this vast, vast field and infinite, really. And we've fenced off a tiny, you can't have a corner of an infinite field because there's no corner. But we've imagined a corner somewhere in there. And we fenced off a little tiny area. We built a house and we forgot about the rest of the field. We built a big fence around it. We forgot about the rest of it. We call it me. Yeah. But... That's just the, that's like my idea of my neighborhood. It's not even the kind of prison that has actual walls. They're just imaginary walls. You know, they're just fabricated walls. So, and we forgot about this vast field, which is, you know, what you are. And there's so much content available in that field. Incredible content. Yeah. 
And then there's a vastness which is way beyond the content. The content is only a tiny part of it. So, uh, uh, it's just very interesting. <laughs> I guess that's the theme for the evening. Yeah? Uh, anyway, it's been a pleasure uh, meeting with you and it's a pleasure to sit up here and apparently I could go on and on, but I'll stop. Uh, so just continue. It's just this moment. What's happening right now, that's all you need. Maybe I'll end with a little poem from the Buddha, which is... Um, Buddha gave one teaching, which he called the fortunate attachment. That'd probably be a useful one to know, since the Buddha was talking about non-attachment. He said there's one fortunate attachment, good, healthy attachment. Let not a person revive the past or on the future build their hopes. For the past is just a memory and the future has not been reached. Instead, with insight, let them see each presently arisen state. Let them know that and be sure of it, invincibly, unshakably. I'm going to skip ahead a little and just say uh, the last part. One who dwells thus ardently, relentlessly, by day and by night, it is she, the peaceful sage has said, who has one fortunate attachment. So, uh, let's just sit for a moment. It's so great we have days left to keep delving in. May we continue to look deeply into our own experience. And may we see things as they are. May this deep and sustained knowing lead to freedom and liberation for ourselves and for all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.